Thank you for being here this morning. We appreciate your presence. We appreciate all of those that are visiting with us. And if you're joining us online, we appreciate your presence too. Desire can be powerful. It can be a power for evil or power for good. And the greater desire, or the greater the desire within a person, the greater the power in that person. Some scriptures suggest how great the power of desire can be for evil. For instance, the word covetousness is a word that means a strong, inordinate desire for more. And this kind of desire has wreaked havoc on people's lives and driven people to all kinds of evil. For instance, you remember in the book of 2 Kings in the 10th chapter, there's a king, a very wicked king by the name of Ahab. And he coveted a vineyard that one by the name of Naboth had. And he wanted it so much that when Naboth wouldn't sell it to him, he pouted and, and just grieved about it until his wife or Jezebel went out and made false charges against uh, Naboth and had him killed because of those false charges simply because Ahab had this great evil desire to take something that wasn't his. We talk about the lust of the eye and the lust of the flesh, and these are two of the avenues through which Satan tempts us. And John talks about them in the book of 1 John, in the second chapter, in verses 15 through 17. Lust is defined as a very strong desire. And James would tell us that temptation is lust, a strong desire, and then it's enticement with that. And if we allow ourselves this strong desire to go after that enticement, then we sin. When Paul wrote to the Ephesians, he was writing to Christians. And he reminded them, he said, among whom we also had our conversation in times past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as others. But desires can be good too. And just to again give you an illustration of the power of a good desire, the writer of uh, Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews in the 11th chapter, in verse 16, said, but now they desire a better country. He's talking about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and those people. And he says, they desire a better country, that is, an heavenly Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. He says they had a great desire for heaven. And that's what kept them walking in stride with God all the time, this great desire that they had. And so desire has this power, and it can be bad or it can be good. I want to talk with you, if I may, this morning about the subject, you got to want to. I borrowed that title from a lesson Roger Strauss preached that I heard on tape many, many years ago. Uh, but I think it will help you to remember that we're talking about desire. You've got to want it. And our lesson is not about forgiveness. That's what his lesson was about. 
but about things that you've got to want to or you've got to desire in order to be successful in attaining them. And all of the things that we're going to talk about are good things. And it's an encouragement to make sure that you want to get these things in your life. The very first thing that I want to suggest to you is that if you want to go to heaven, you've got to want to go. You're not going to get there by accident. Isaiah, the 35th chapter and verse 8, the writer talked about the way to heaven. He says, In a highway there shall be, and a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. That's talking about our way to heaven, and anybody who comes to, or gets to heaven will have to go by this way of holiness. He said, The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for those, the wayfaring men, though foo shall not err therein. You're not going to just end up in heaven by accident. You know, you could be driving a car, and you get off the way, and you wander around, and you find where you're going by accident. But that's not the way it is in heaven. You're going to have to want to go to heaven in order to get there. It's oftentimes been said heaven is a willing religion for those who will to go. And that's the only way that we're going to get there is that we have a strong desire to get to heaven. God doesn't force us to get to heaven. He allows us to get to heaven and offers us to get to heaven. And he invites whosoever will. And notice that, whosoever will, whoever wants to get to heaven and willing to do that, they can make it. But the sad thing is that there are some people that, that really don't have that desire. Look over, if you would, in your Bibles to the book of Matthew in the 13th chapter and begin reading with me in verse 14. And this is after Jesus has talked about some of the parables and so forth. But he says, uh, he said, and in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, he's talking about some that, that haven't heard these parables and accept them. He says, hearing you will hear and shall not understand. Seeing you will see and not perceive, for the heart of this people have grown dull. Their ears are dull or hard of hearing, their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. Now notice what he's saying. He's saying there is a way, but there's some people that just don't want that way. And they will harden their hearts in order to keep from hearing the word or receiving the word, lest Jesus should heal them or unless they should make it to heaven. So I want to suggest to you, just first of all, that if you want to get to heaven, you really have got to desire to get to heaven. You're not going to get there by accident. Second thing that I would suggest to you is that if you want to grow in Christ, you're going to have to want to grow that it's not going to be something that's going to happen automatically and without effort. I want you to listen, if you would, to the book of 1 Peter in the second chapter and verse 1 and 2. 1 Peter 2 and verse 1 and 2. Peter says, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. Now notice a couple of things. He says we have to lay aside certain things like malice and envy and guile and hypocrisy. 
But he also says you've got to desire the sincere milk of the word. If you're going to grow, desire the sincere milk of the word. Along with this, think about the writer of Hebrews in the book of Hebrews in the fifth chapter. And beginning about verse 9 where he's trying to tell the people about Jesus being a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And he says, I have some things I want to tell you about this, but it's hard for me to tell you, seeing that you are dull of hearing. That phrase, dull of hearing, is a word that means they didn't have the desire. You, you think about uh, dull of hearing. This is somebody that just, they're not really that interested in hearing. They're not making the efforts to hear. The person that wants to grow, he's ready and waiting and and looking forward to hearing words that will help him grow. But he says, some are dull of hearing. They're tired of hearing. They don't want to hear. They want to hear other things. And he's saying, if that happens, then you're not going to grow. In fact, he, he talks in that passage about how they even hinder the church. And, and they themselves are not equipped to discern good and evil because they are dull of hearing. And so again, if we want to, we can grow, but we're going to have to have a desire to do that. The third thing that I want to make mention of, you got to want to teach someone before you'll be a successful teacher of the gospel. Think about Paul's words in the book of Romans in the 10th chapter in verse 1 when he wrote to the Romans. He said, and he was writing to Jews, he said, my heart's desire is that you might uh, come to an understanding of the gospel. Let me turn over there and just read the words. Romans, the 10th chapter and verse 1. Paul says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them rec or witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to the knowledge. But they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Notice, first of all, he says, my desire for you. He wanted to teach these people what Christ really said. Talking about the Jews, he said, they have a desire for righteousness, but it's not according to God's will. They'd gone out and established their own desires and their own way of getting to heaven. And I'll tell you, there's plenty of people today that, that they say they want to get to heaven, but they're not following God's way of getting to heaven. They've established their own right way. And so there's a great need for people to be teaching the gospel today. But he's telling us we've got to have a desire, or showing us we've got to have a desire to teach these people. If you don't have that desire, then you'll think of all kinds of excuses not to teach. But if you really want to teach, if you want to teach somebody bad enough, then you'll keep trying, and you'll keep on trying and keep trying, and try and teach somebody the gospel. I remind you again that what we talked about in Hebrews, the fifth chapter, but even for us to be able to teach these people, we have to ourselves again desire that word ourselves. In Hebrews, the fifth chapter again, saying you ought to be teachers, but you have again the need, somebody to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And so that's what happens when we don't have, first of all, the desire to grow ourselves. We're not really equipped to grow and to teach others. But then secondly, 
We need that desire. If we don't have a desire for that word ourselves, it's very unlikely that we're going to want to make sure somebody else hears that word. And not only just hears about Christ, but hears about the right way to follow Jesus Christ. So you've got to want to teach if you're going to be successful in teaching. But a fourth thing, I want to suggest to you that if you want to be an elder, you're going to have to want to be an elder and desire to be an elder. If you are going to serve as an elder, you need to desire that position. Now, that's not to say that everyone who has ever been placed in the position of eldership desired it. Some people just look for a title and a position, and that's all they're looking for. Uh, they want that. They're not wanting to serve as elders. But look over, if you would, to the book of 1 Timothy in the third chapter for a moment. And Paul's writing to the Timothy about uh, eldership and so forth. And he begins by saying, This is a faithful saying, if a man desires the position of bishop, he desires a good work. So the very first thing he says is that if somebody's going to serve as an elder, first of all, they have to desire that work. When I was in college, a lot of us were taking Bible courses and wanting to be a preacher. But I remember there was one man by the name, or young man at that time, Fred wanted to be an elder. Already at the age that we were in college, he had already decided that he wanted to be an elder. He wasn't wanting to be a preacher. He was wanting to be an elder. And I think, if I understand correctly, he made it at some point in time. And I suspect with that desire, and that desire being that long, that he made a good elder. But you can't get the qualifications and just suddenly be qualified. You're going to have to desire these things. And may I suggest to you, I know we just appointed elders, but... There'll be a time that we're looking for other elders, or maybe you're from a congregation that will be looking for elders. And if you want to serve even in the future as an elder, you need to desire that eldership. And you need, not only that, but you need to be working toward the qualifications. And some of these qualifications are not things that just appear overnight, where you can just suddenly have the desire and, and all of these qualifications are going to be met. It's like bringing up children that are going to be uh, right with the Lord or give and uh, faithful children, as he says. Well, you can't wait till the day before and then suddenly decide, I think I want to be an elder and, and suddenly start giving attention to your children. You're not going to have the, the word where you can convict the gainsayer overnight. You're going to have to be wanting to be an elder and planning to be an elder and striving to learn God's word so you can convict the gainsayer in that sense. And so we need to have a desire if we're desiring to serve as an elder. we got to want it to be that elder in order to be. And then I want to suggest to you, if you want a good marriage, you're going to have to want a good marriage. Uh, there's no doubt that God wanted us to have good homes and he gave us commands to help. You go back and look in the book of Genesis in the second chapter, he saw that it wasn't good for man to be alone, and so he created woman and brought Eve unto Adam, and thus the first marriage that we have. And you, you see what he wants in marriage. He tells us over and over again in the scriptures that a man can't put away his wife for just any cause, that the two have become one. And whoever puts away his wife except fornication commits adultery, and whoever marries her that 
commits, or who's been put away without adultery commits adultery. And so we've got to want to make the marriage work, and we need to be striving to do that. Hollywood has sold us a bill of sales somewhat that you just fall in love and you fall out of love. And a whole lot of people just think and have this attitude of, well, uh, I loved her when I first started, or I loved him when I first started, but I don't love him anymore. And I can't help it. It's just what happens. We did love and now we don't. That's not the biblical sense of love. We can control who we love and and how we love. Think about the fact that God commands us to love Him with all our heart and soul and mind. Have you ever thought about that if we can't control our love, God couldn't really command that? I mean, it'd just be either we did or we didn't, if that's the case. If that's the way love was, we'd either just love somebody or we wouldn't love somebody. We'd love God or we wouldn't love God, and He wouldn't be able to say, love God. He's telling us that's a choice. And when we talk about marriage, that's still a choice. And so we need to want to love our mates so that we can have a good marriage. And I would go on to say that righteousness is first. I've told people before, you know, the reason marriages get in trouble is that somebody is sinning, either one or two people. And the way to fix a marriage is for those that are sinning to stop sinning, one or both of them. But again, righteousness is more important than even the marriage. And so if, if there has to be a choice between keeping that marriage intact or um, being righteous, then we choose righteousness. But righteousness should make us want to keep that marriage intact, if possible, and do everything we can to make the marriage work, if we can. But we're going to have to want to make it work in order to do that. And then I want to suggest to you, lastly, that in, in the things that we're talking about, you've got to want to have a good attitude if you're going to have a good attitude. I wrote an article a number of years ago called Unbecoming Pessimism. Let me share with you a thought or two out of it. It says, pessimism is defined as a tendency to take the gloomiest possible view of a situation. And it's the opposite of optimism. Some Christians have a pessimistic view of life and the work of the Lord, but pessimism is unbecoming of a Christian. The pessimist tends to think that life is not worth living because of all the bad things that they ex expect to happen to them. For the Christian, to live is Christ and to die is gain. The Christian should count it joy when he falls into diverse temptation. The Christian can overcome every temptation, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 13. No temptation has taken us that we can't overcome. And we should rejoice always, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. The eye of the Lord are over the righteous. His ears are open unto his, to their prayers, 1 Peter 3, 12. And he is ready to give his children good things when they ask, Matthew 7 and verse 11. The Christian should enjoy life and look forward to heaven. There's no reason for the Christian to be gloomy. The pessimistic Christian often thinks that it's impossible to convert people to Christ today, and that it's impossible for the church to grow. The pessimistic Christian seldom tries to convert anyone because he thinks his efforts will be useless. He breeds discouragement and discontentment in the church by always focusing on the bad things that happen or might happen in the church and never focuses on the good things. The Word of God is quick, 
powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Wherever there is honest heart, the gospel will be successful and the church will grow. We must plant and water. God will give the increase. In Christ, we are more than conquerors and we can do all things. There's no need for despair. The pessimistic Christian gives Satan an advantage and shows a lack of faith in God and his word. The victory is through Christ and we live in hope. And we've got to have that positive attitude. I, I heard one person sometime say, don't feel sorry for the person who has the bad attitude. He chose that. Feel sorry for the people that have to be around him that didn't choose that. But just think about Paul and all of the things that he encountered in life. And yet, Paul had a good attitude. And if Paul did that, then we can too in our relationship with Jesus Christ. So these six things I want you to think about that we've got to want to be a Christian, we've got to want to grow, we've got to want to be elders, men if they want to be an elder, you've got to want a good marriage, you've got to want a good attitude, have a good attitude. These things we need. But I want to go a little further and make an observation about these things that we're talking about. And the first thing I want to suggest to you is that you must determine how badly you want these things. You need to prioritize your life. Uh, we really need to say God first, family second. You know, family is important, and the only thing that's more important to me than family is God. And so we, we need to prioritize that and determine what kind of price we're willing to pay for these things, to have these places, these things in our life where we, we need them and to want these things the most. You remember in the book of Luke, in the 14th chapter, Jesus is talking to a, a group, and he says, count the cost. And he's talking about being his disciple. And he tells them, you can be my disciple, but count the cost. And here's what it may cost you. You may have to hate father and mother and brother and sister and wife and children, yea, your own life also. But if you're going to be his disciple, that's worth it. But he says, you've got to be willing to, to cut all these relationships if it takes it in order to be a Christian. And then he would talk about further how that uh, we're going to have to be willing to give up things. Uh, and bear a cross. You remember he talked about how that if you're going to be my disciple, you have to bear the cross. And, you know, I, I've talked before about how some people think, well, this cross is just maybe somebody that's sick or something. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about something that Christians have to bear. He's talking about something that we're bearing because of being a Christian. And in my mind, what he's saying is cross signifies crucifixion. And the one crucifixion that is in every Christian's life is that he died to sin. That's what keeps some people from being a Christian. They don't want to give up sin. But if we're going to be a Christian, we're going to have to say, I'm willing to bear my cross. I'm willing to die to sin and stay dead to sin. And then he talks about that we need to be willing to give up our possessions, uh, that it's worth more than anything we can own in this life in order to be a Christian and a faithful Christian and have heaven. Look over, if you would, to the book of Philippians and the third chapter. And I think Paul expressed the desire that we have to have in, in order to uh, be a Christian, the, the kind of desire that we're talking about having. Philippians 3, and I'll begin in verse 8. 
He said, yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. That's how much Christ or Paul wanted Christ. I'm willing to count everything past as rubbish. He said, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, if by any means I have attained to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold for that which Christ has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let as many of us as are mature have this mind, and if any of you like or think otherwise, God will reveal it, even this to you, if you have something you're missing, he says. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind or be of the same mind. And here's what Paul is saying. In order to be a Christian, you need to count everything lost. You need to count Christ the most precious thing in your life. And you give up any other relationship if you have to. You count Christ the most precious thing. You give up any sin that may be in your life in order to have Christ. And then he said, you keep pressing toward the mark. You don't ever just say, okay, I've made it. You keep pressing toward that mark, he says. And he says, if you lack somewhere, then God will show it to you. You just walk wherein you've attained. You know, if we would really just walk wherein we've attained, wherever I know that the Scriptures teach me to do, that I'm going to do. And secondly, be of the mind, I'm going to give diligence to be where I need to be. You know what keeps some people from, from saying, yes, I think I'm going to heaven? It's a lack of diligence. They know that they are good some days, but they know there are other days they're not really on fire for the Lord. And so they don't know how to answer that question except, I don't know. I'm convinced Christians ought to have confidence about their salvation. And I think John tells us in the book of 1 John that we can have that confidence. Doesn't mean I, I'm the judge and that I can assure myself a place in heaven. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and said, I'm not the judge, and, and even my judgment is not what counts. But here he's telling us, if I walk wherein I've attained, and I give all diligence to attain where I am, I should. And if I'm of the attitude that God would show me if I miss something so that I could correct it, what more can we do? And that's what he's saying we ought to do as Christians, trying to make sure that we have the desire that we need. I want you to know also, secondly, that desire is only the first step. Everything that we've mentioned requires more. Getting to heaven requires that you be a Christian. It requires that you live pure lives. It requires that we worship God and we do good works. And it requires, as we just said, that we be diligent in this. And it requires that we confess our faults to God and pray for forgiveness when we, we sin. 
we also have to grow. And that requires things. It requires time. The writer of Hebrews, we talked about in Hebrews 5, talking about some weren't growing as they should. That continues on into chapter Hebrews in verse 6. And he says that we'll go on unto perfection. And he says, he says, let us go on into perfection. Let us be everything you can be. And then he says, and this we will do if God permits. Just, God gives me the time and the energies and the efforts. I'm going to do that. It's not going to be a lack of me. And so we know we need time to grow and, and to, to gain these things. And it takes effort. You remember Paul's statement in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15. Give diligence again. Always giving diligence is the idea that we're giving constant hard efforts. And then we have to study 2 Timothy 2.15, giving all diligence to study, to show yourself approved. And then it takes self-control and patience. You remember Peter in 2 Peter 1, where he talks about add to your faith virtue and virtue knowledge and knowledge temperance or self-control. You can have this attitude of virtue of, of standing for what's right, but that won't do you any good unless you know what is right. So you need to add to your virtue knowledge. Uh, the Romans of the 10th chapter again. Here's some people that were zealous, but he said, but they're, they're not according to God's way. They didn't have the knowledge. And even if we have knowledge, if we are given diligence and have knowledge or have virtue and knowledge, it won't do any good unless we have self-control and we make ourselves do what God tells us to do. We have to buffet our bodies and bring it into subjection, as Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians the ninth chapter in verse 27. You remember when Paul talked to, to Festus or Felix in Acts 24? And he said he reasoned with him righteousness and judgment and temperance. Well, that's the point. You've got to be seeking to live righteously. But you've got to be able to bring your life into harmony so that you are doing righteousness. And in that way, we can stand in judgment. So not only do we have to have the desire, we have to have actions to go along with that desire. And then the last thing I want to suggest to you is that no circumstance is hopeless, that Christ has made the sacrifice for us. Christ has given us the instructions we need, all the instructions we need. Christ promises us the strength that we need. Everything we need, God has given to us. And any of these areas that we've talked about, we can make those things what they should be if everybody is of the mind that's involved in it, that we're going to put ourselves and do what God tells us to do, that we desire it and we're going to do what God tells us to do in these things. I've seen people that, that seemingly didn't care one whit about Christ, that then suddenly was awakened unto Christ and and became Christians and faithful Christians, and some of them even gospel preachers. I can think of, of, of a man that used to carry his wife and drop her off at the building, and he'd go on and do whatever he wanted to on Sunday. And then one Sunday he decided he'd go in and listen to the sermon, and, and it pricked his heart, and he obeyed the gospel and, and preaches the gospel now. I can think of marriages that, that were on the rock and about to just break up, and then came back because people changed their attitude. I had a young lady come in my house one Wednesday night to tell me that she was getting a divorce from her husband. And I told her, I said, you don't have a right as far as I know. And she left. 
that Wednesday night, she came forward and said, I want to make things right. And I asked her, I said, are you still planning to get a divorce? And she said, no. That couple is still married today. Both of them are Christian and faithful to the Lord. And so none of it is hopeless. If we have the desire and put in the efforts, we can make it. Someone has, has said a journey to anywhere starts from where you are now. It doesn't make any difference if you're not a Christian or are a Christian right now or just a ho-hum Christian. Right where you are, you can change your heart and change your mind and begin to work to be a Christian. You can have a good marriage or a bad marriage, but you can make that marriage work if both people want to do that. And you can be right in the marriage even if both people aren't, if you will be what God tells you to do. Brother Ed Dye was a good friend of mine. He an older preacher than I was, I am. Had a lot of influence over me. But I remember him, he'd tell me, he'd say, Harold, people need to be careful what they want because we have a way of getting what we want sometimes. Well, may I suggest to you, be careful what you want. Want the good things of God, what God wants for you. Want to be righteous, want to be a Christian, want to be growing spiritually. Want to serve the Lord, want to be a worker for the Lord. Want to show forth the praises of God with the right attitude of heart. And that would be godliness, meekness, doing godly or doing things that are right because you want to please God. And just be a good Christian and it will affect your whole life and make a whole life good. If you're here this evening and you want to be a Christian, we're ready to accept you, hear your confession, baptize you into Christ. You can rise up and walk in newness of life this day and be a Christian. If you perhaps have not been really on fire for the Lord, you can change that. You can change even now by changing your attitude. I've preached a sermon before called Light the Fire, Turn Up the Heat. And I pointed out when I used to play tennis, there'd be one point that I'd come to and I'd think, I really need this point. And without going out and, and exercising more or calling times out and doing some kind of mental attitude or ad, uh, exercise, you just say, hey, I've got to turn up the heat. I've got to really work for this. And that's what it takes. You can be where you are now and maybe not what a, a Christian that's on fire, but you can change your attitude now and say, this is what I'm going to be, whatever it is. If we can assist you, we'd invite you to come as together we stand the same. Lord, for Jesus.